0: anything to do with Thanksgiving, right? You may be wondering, what does my faith have to do with Thanksgiving? You should be talking about gratitude or something like that. Well, let me, if you, if you mean what does faith have to do with turkey and dressing and broccoli casserole and corn pudding and even for some of you who like it, green bean casserole and stuff and Black Friday deals and all that, it, faith doesn't really have a whole lot to do with that. But if you're talking about what does our faith have to do with my spirit of thankfulness? And my heart of gratitude, then faith has everything to do with that, doesn't it? Our faith leads and directs and informs our spirit of gratitude, or at least it should, right? See, I get that the past few years have been hard on just about everyone, right? How many of you would say honestly the the past like three years have been the best years of my life? None of us would say that because it's been tough, right? It's been tough. It's been hard. We've we've seen a, a a global pandemic. And it's really, it's forever changed how we live, right? I think COVID is going to have an impact on how we live probably for the rest of our lives, if not every generation hereafter. And for many families, gathering on the holidays is tough because when COVID hit, they lost loved ones that they weren't expecting to lose when they did. And so gathering for Thanksgiving and offering thanks and gathering at Christmas time and having those memories and when everybody gets real nostalgic, you begin to miss those that you feel were taken from you too soon or taken from you in a way that they shouldn't have been taken. The past couple of years also brought that social unrest, political fighting, the knowledge that we maybe haven't moved on from our racist pasts and from our classist pasts and all of those things. Let alone the wars going on around the rest of the world. It's led to like a heightened tension and taking sides and villainizing people who simply don't agree with the same things as we do. And let me not even bring up the beautiful, beautiful just just blessing to culture that is social media, right? And oh, by the way, just last Tuesday, we had another contentious midterm election in our nation which produced probably the highest turnout for a midterm election that it ever has. But don't elections always just bring out the best in humanity? Don't they? You know, everybody just, everybody just gets along right after they watch those polls and the, the things come in. Or maybe the struggle you've had the past couple of years, yeah, there's been all those things swirling around you, but maybe you've had personal struggle that's taken place. Depression, anxiety may have creeped in because of just the changes that are going on. Age may be beginning to take its toll. Or maybe you've found out that you were diagnosed with a serious illness. Or maybe you're expecting to be laid off of work any day. Maybe fear and doubt and not knowing what's going to come. Maybe you've suffered some deep loss in the past couple of years. And you're sitting there wondering, what is there to be grateful for? Even as a Christian, what is there to be grateful for right now? Because pastor, I'm having a hard time finding what to be grateful for. To all those frustrations and probably many more that I didn't even mention this morning, let me insert this notion of faith. Many times we forget what our faith, just because we can't see it, what our faith has given us and what our faith has blessed us with. Let me ask you this question. Ask this of yourself and we need to ask this of ourselves this morning. How is my faith informing how I live in light of the frustrations and the chaos and the trouble and the fear. How is my faith informing how I live? And how is my faith not just informing how I live, but how is my faith transforming how I am, who I am and how I engage with the world around me who goes through all of these frustrations as well but maybe don't have that seed of faith planted in them like we do? Because church, I, we were called to be different. The Bible says we were called to be peculiar and some of us have nailed that one, right? We've nailed that one. But we've been called to be different as the church. That means that when all of the world begins kind of pressing in and when all of those frustrations come up, which always will, we have something different inside of us. We have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? When we begin to engage with frustrations and shortfalls in life through the lens of a transformational faith in a living, all-knowing, all-powerful, always gracious, always present Lord and Savior, we can find a reason to praise something and something to saturate our hearts with thanksgiving at any time, no matter what may be happening. It's the same kind of presence that Job felt when he said the Lord gives and takes away, but still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of everything, our faith informs our gratitude, right? Our faith in Jesus Christ should inform our gratitude that when all the world has crashed down and we're resting on a heap of ashes, we know that we serve the one and we are held by the one that makes beauty from ashes. That's what our faith does. That's how our faith informs our gratitude and informs our thanksgiving. So the question is not, how much has God given me lately to be thankful for? The question is, how much is my faith in him flourishing that commands my praise? Because folks, praise is not supposed to be something that we just conjure up. Praise is something that overflows from a heart that is full of gratitude and full of wonder at this glorious God that we worship. But many times what we're tempted to do is we're minimize, we minimize God and we minimize his presence and we give credit to all everything else but God. When God deserves all the glory and all the praise. And then we wonder sometimes while we sit down and somebody says, Hey man, what makes you a Christian? Folks, if, making a, if what makes us a Christian is that we set a prayer one day and we go to church, we're missing the fullness of salvation. We're missing it. Because being a Christian is about having a daily daily intimate relationship where he feeds us and he fills us and we have no other response but to turn around and praise him for his goodness. So we started the service off this morning with there's joy in the house of the Lord. I wonder how many of us lied when we sang that song because I'll be honest there's times where I'm like I don't know how joyful I really am but every time I come back to it I come back to the fact that I haven't been looking through the eyes of faith like I should. Because there's not one time, not one moment, where I can look at it and say, God, you failed me. You failed me completely. He doesn't fail us, He's always there. So, the letter of James that we look at this morning is we're going to be looking at gratitude and thankfulness through the eyes of faith for the next couple of weeks leading into Thanksgiving. This letter of James was written during an especially heated time in history, especially for Roman and Jewish believers. Uh, we, we went through the book of Romans, we've gone through other places, and what you see in the Word of God is these, these letters that are written, these pastoral epistles, which James is a pastoral epistle because it's a letter written by James who held the position of a pastor in the early church. And he's basically writing to the church to try to comfort them over something. And what he's trying to comfort the church that he is pastoring at this point is they were just in a time of social unrest, of political upheaval, of spiritual division, there were all kinds of things going on. Can you imagine back in the early days of the church how hard it must have been for some people to come together and agree on things because they didn't have the finished Word of God to just, just settle things on, right? We're lucky in that form that we have the Word of God to follow, Right? But they didn't have that. So the early church was growing and in the midst of heightening spiritual and political tensions. Much of James' writing, if you look at the book of James, offers encouragement from the perspective of a pastor for living as a follower of Christ in a world that seems to be going nuts. Sounds about the same as where we're at right now, right? Turn on the news, world's going nuts. Open social media. Your family's going nuts. No, it's just, it's just everybody's going crazy, right? It seems like everybody's stressed to the max. Everybody's burnt out, frazzled and worn out. You don't see a whole lot of good going on. You have to look hard for the good, right? They were suffering with, with, uh, with a lot of things. And so he, he talks about these themes of suffering with joy. How do I suffer with joy? He talks about how to tame the tongue. None of us have a problem with that, Right? How to be submissive to God when your will wants to fire up and take control. And how to pray in faith is one of the main themes that James is writing about. But over the next couple of weeks, we want to look at the main theme that James is dealing with is, how does my faith inform all of this action? How does my faith inform every single thing about my Christian development? How the Word and how the faith in, God of the word, in, in the Word of God and in the God of the Word is the foundational element in how a Christian lives. See, in many ways, all of our spiritual struggles comes down to faith. I want you to hear this. In many ways, all of our spiritual struggles or our spiritual thriving comes down to a matter of faith. A genuine faith that is seen and dominates every aspect of our lives. See, faith is not this, just this static thing that I have where I acknowledge God. Faith is something that feeds me and drives me and nourishes me as well. So as I give God faith, he gives me more faith to give back to him. That's how we run. So today I want to pick up in verse number 19 of chapter 1. We're going to read through, chapter, or through verse number 21 this morning. Small passage of scripture, but man, it is loaded. So let's look at this. In verse number 19, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. So who's he talking to right now? Is he talking to a specific group of people? Yes, he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking to those who are outside of the faith because they can't understand what he's about to say until they have the faith of Jesus. So he says, my dear brothers and sisters or dear church, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen. (laughs) We could stop right there and just finish out, shouldn't we, right? Slow to speak and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, Humbly receive the implanted or the engrafted word, which does what? Which is able to save your souls. He says, put aside anger, put aside moral filth, put aside unrighteousness. And what do we grab onto? We grab onto the word of God, which feeds our faith. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would minister to us now. And we thank you for your holy word. And we thank you that it is your truth that is revealed to us. We thank you for its promises that are sure in our lives and we thank you for the peace that it pronounces to us. God, we even thank you for the correction that it provides to our souls and we ask this morning that you would help us to grow in faith as we follow you. Help us be planted in healthy soil that produces a righteous life that you've intended for us and like our text says this morning, give us the strength and the courage to pull out any sin, any filth, any unrighteousness that may be standing in the way of our relationship with you. Let that be our prayer and let that be our desire this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. Let's say today we're going to look at what genuine faith is. We we talk about faith. We, We have faith in a lot of things. And what is faith specifically? Well, the Bible's definition of faith is believing in something that you do not have evidence for or faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So faith is basically I'm letting it all ride on something that I can't predict. Here's what Jesus told us. He says, if you let it all ride on me in faith, I will save your soul. I will be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will, in, I will implant you with the Holy Spirit to guide you. And when your life is over, you will live forever with me in glory in heaven And that's the faith that for centuries, brothers and sisters like you and me and people that have gone before and people that will come after us have taken that faith and run with it all the way to eternity. That's faith. But we put faith in all kinds of things, right? Every year. I don't know for sure if Kentucky basketball is going to win the national championship, but doggone it. I have faith that they're going to do it until your faith is dashed against the rocks when they lose to St. Peter's. Still a little ticked about that. But well, I'm used to that kind of stuff because I'm a Cub fan too. I'm used to having faith that a team's going to win. And you know, usually, by like, the you know, season starts in April. Usually, by like May, I know it's not happening. So, you know, I just kind of move on with my life. So, we have faith in things, we put faith in people, don't we? A lot of times, when a man and a woman stand in an, at an altar and they say their vows, they're, take, they're putting faith in the, in, the, in the idea that that person saying those vows to them are going to keep those vows that they make. It works out about 50% of the time. Here's the deal. The promises that God makes us, 100% of the time are going to be kept. 100% of the time are going to be kept. But what is faith? We all have different ideas and what it looks like. Genuine faith, I believe, is the only suitable foundation for all of our Christian life, all of our growth, and all of our action. If we do not have faith, we lack the fuel to move us forward in Christ. If I lack faith, I, 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 I lack the fuel that is meant to move me forward in Christ. French philosopher Voltaire said this Faith consists in believing what it is beyond the power of reason to believe. That's a pretty decent definition, right? It consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. The Apostle Paul says this that as Christians, in, in, in the books of Corinthians, he says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning that as Christians, If you're looking for proof before you step out for God, you're not going to find it because God rewards faith believing without having the proof. And then Martin Luther King Jr. preached several years ago that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see that whole staircase in front of you. It's taking that first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. As believers, we live by faith, we're saved by faith, we grow in faith, and as we see God working in each and every circumstance of our lives, our faith grows and it becomes stronger and we invest more in his stock market of faith and we progress in our faith with him. And as I'm sure we all agree today, our desire is to live and to grow in genuine faith as we follow Jesus throughout our lives. So, over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is this faith that, that James presents to his church that I think we need presented to our church today. A faith, first of all, that we're going to talk about today is a faith must first be planted in the proper soil to grow. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at a faith that is firmly planted will then be fruitful for the world to see. A faith that must be planted, but then a faith that must be fruitful. So we're going to learn what it means to exercise genuine faith next week. But I want to look this morning at what it means to be planted. Now, some of you may be here this morning. You may be scratching your head and you've looked over the text several times. You're like, Pastor, you're talking about faith, but I don't see the word faith show up in our text. And you're absolutely right. Matter of fact, if you're looking for the word faith, you're only going to see it in one verse in chapter one. And that's in verse number three, when it says that the trying of our faith works patience. Alright, so what it tells us about faith is our faith is going to come under attack. If we have faith, it's going to come under attack. It always is. Why? Because Satan knows if he can get at our faith, he can cause us to be silent for Christ. He knows that. So his way of attacking the Lord and his way of attacking God's kids is if he can make us have shaky faith, then he can make us shaky, shaky followers in Jesus Christ. <laughs> What we're looking at here is, the, is what a genuine mature faith looks like in the middle of the trials and the tribulations that we know are going to come our way. Because if somebody told you when you got saved that all your problems are gonna go away and everything is gonna be hunky-dory and God's gonna give you everything you've ever asked for, man, you've just signed up to the greatest members club you possibly can with the greatest benefits. They lied to you because Jesus said this, when we follow him, we are taking up our cross. When we follow him, we are gonna be persecuted. We are going to be slandered. We are going to be hated. We're gonna be reviled. And not just by the people around us, we're gonna be reviled by Satan himself and so he is going to shoot fiery darts the Bible says when we come to know Jesus Christ it's more like enlisting in an army than it is joining a benefits club even though the benefits are great eternal life the heavenly father walking with us every day but man it's more like joining a military but here's what it says what I really want to zero in this morning is on that last part of verse number 21 look again Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive the implanted or the engrafted word which is able also to save your souls. That word implanted there comes from the Greek word infotos or infotos. Which is an agricultural term that always meant to come up, to sprout up, to grow up. So a farmer over there in the ancient days, speaking Greek, would have said, I'm looking for emphotos. I'm looking for my seeds to begin sprouting up, right? So how many green thumbs do we have in here? You like to grow stuff. You like to grow gardens. You like to plant things, okay? A few of you. I won't bemoan, again, you've heard many times how bad I am at doing that. Whatever the opposite of green is, that's what color my thumb is, okay? I literally kill things, all right? Grass shrinks in my presence. I don't even have to mow my grass. I walk out and it's like, no, leave, it's coming, right? It's bad, all right? So I don't know much, but I've heard, I've heard that when you plant a seed in soil, for most people, you get something that grows from that seed if you treat it properly, right? So what do you need? We all know this. If we want something to grow, if we want to grow something, what do we need? There's a couple of things, right? What do we need? We need some dirt, right? We need some soil. And then we need what? A seed. And then what do we do? We put the seed in that soil and then we water it and we nurture it. We make sure it's got good temperature. And then whatever magic juju that you people know to do, that's how you get a seed, right? That's what, but we know that what we're supposed to do. You put a seed in dirt and it grows, right? Normally. This is what the Bible says. He speaks so many times, the word speaks so many times about our faith in an agricultural process. That what we nurture in our faith, we will see produced in what our faith does and how our faith serves us. See, planting seems simple enough, doesn't it? You get soil, you get a seed, you water it, sunlight over time, it begins to sprout up. And as believers in Christ, we need to understand the same concept applies to us. In order to produce righteous fruit in our own lives, we have to first be planted in the soil of faith. And here's what the word says receive humbly humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls what it tells us is that genuine faith has a beginning it has an embryonic stage to it right our faith starts out as a seed that is planted and as it's nurtured its roots grow deep and it sprouts up into something beautiful and that fruit begins to glorify god in the way we act in the way we are and people begin to draw it, begin drawn into the love of christ through yes. us and as James says, the beginning of our faith is when we humbly receive that word that is able to save our souls, and we take that gospel at face value, and we let it all ride on Jesus, and on the cross, and on his resurrection, and when we do that, that seed is planted in our soil of our soul, and it comes to life, but we have to tend to that seed. You don't just throw it in some soil and walk away, right, because if you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to come back a couple days later and it's all dried up. There's still not going to be anything. Or if it starts to sprout and then you think, all right, it's good on its own. And you walk away. What happens when you come back? There's weeds. There's all kinds of things. You've got a dry sprig because it wasn't nurtured. So I want to consider a couple of things this morning that we must do to properly tend to that seed of faith. That implanted word that is able to save our souls. And the first thing that we have to do to properly tend to that implanted seed of faith is that we have to look out or watch out for all the things that will choke out our faith. You have to watch out for all of those things that are around that will begin to choke out the faith that is in us. If you still have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, look up above our text at verse number 18, where James says that believers were given what? He says this, He says, by his own choice, by God's own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits to his creatures. What does that mean? It means that by God's choice, he gave us the word of God so that we could believe in it, so that the seed could be planted in us and so that we could live a testimony. That's what it means by us being a first fruits to everyone else. The reason he gives us the word is so that we will take the word, we will heed the word, we will be nourished by the word. And we will live the word. And as we do that, we impact the world around us. See, that word first fruit means this. It's the best that the harvest produces. It's the first fruit. Anybody who's ever grown anything knows that when you grow tomatoes, some of them are really good and some of them aren't so good. Your first fruits are the best of the harvest, the best of the crop. And one of the greatest enemies, and see, Christ's intent is for us, is that his followers be the best examples of the power of the gospel on a life. See, this is why it's vital that we let faith grow within side of us and thrive with inside of us because there's a lost and dying world who needs to see what faith looks like. There's a world who is dying to know who Jesus is. And in many respects, if they don't know who Jesus is, it will be our fault for not showing that in the way that we live. Those who know it those who have the seed of the word planted in us and we let it just stay at seed level and we let it dry out and we let it just be enough to get us to heaven. Folks, I don't want to just go to heaven. I want to take people with me. I don't mean that in a weird way. I don't want to take them when I go, but I want to know that when I get to heaven, there will be others on their way because I spent my life telling others how to get there. See, one of the greatest enemies to a healthy harvest is a weed or anything in the soil that siphons off the nutrients from what the seed needs, right? Verse 19 gives us three instructions to pursue, to kill off, or to choke out the weeds that choke out our faith. Look at it again, verse number 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. How many of us are quick to listen, right? Do you know anybody that's not so quick to listen? Well, how would you, how would you, how would you characterize that person that's not very quick to listen, and what it means is being quick to be taught, right? Anybody know anybody who's stubborn? Anybody sitting next to a person who's stubborn? Anybody looking at a person who's stubborn right now, right? Stubborn means we're not quick to listen. We're not quick to be taught. We think our way's the best way. And so that's what it's basically saying. Let everyone be quick to listen. What he's saying is choke out stubbornness in your life. Choke out that notion that I don't need to be taught because we do. Because as a seedling, we need everything we can get to soak up. And as seedlings planted in the garden of faith, we need this word to water us. So be quick to listen. And then he says this, be slow to speak. It gets worse, man. If you're stubborn like me, it's going to get worse. Be quick to listen. And then he says, slow to speak. Anybody know somebody who's not so slow to speak? Somebody who feels like what they have to say is just going to change everybody's life at any moment? Or a lot of times what we seek to do is we seek to be heard a whole lot more than we seek to hear others. Don't we? I think this is one of the problems we have with Christianity today in America. We're more concerned with everybody hearing us than hearing the broken hearts that are around us so that we can then tell them the truth that will set them free. Preaching sometimes means you have to earn the credibility to preach by listening to those who you intend to preach to. But Jesus says this. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. That means when I pray, I'm praying and I I do need to talk to the Lord, but I need to have my ears open to hear what he is saying back to me. Because what I have to hear from my father is so much more vital to me than what I need to inform my father about because he already knows. So he says, choke out this narcissism is really what it comes down to. Someone who thinks that everything he has to say is just wonderful for everybody. It's that nature of me, 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 I, I, I. Everybody needs to know about me. I think we're we're, we're choking today in this world on our own narcissism. We got Twitter, we got Facebook, we got Instagram. We got all these things to just let the world know everything. How often do we stop and just listen to the voice of God? And then he says the third thing that we need to do is we need to be slow to anger. Oh, man. It's like verse 19. It's like, Derek, here you go. This is you right here in a nutshell. This is what you need, right? Slow to anger. Listen, if we're not teachable and we're narcissistic and we just think the world needs to hear everything we have to say, we're going to be angry. Because guess what? Everybody else in the world is narcissistic and isn't listening to what you have to say either. So we're all just a bunch of angry people mad at each other because we're skeptical of what you have to say because you won't listen to what I have to say. We're messed up. Proverbs tells us this in, four, in chapter 14, verse 29. The Bible talks a lot about anger and how it can poison the soul and how it can poison our relationships, especially the poison our relationship that we should have with Jesus Christ. In fourteen twenty-nine, it says, A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. In chapter 15, verse 18, it says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Sixteen thirty-two, patience is better than power. Isn't that amazing? Patience is better than power. And controlling one's emotions is better than capturing an entire city. All these weeds go hand in hand with anger, don't they? Narcissism or, you know, an inflated sense of ego or this desire to just be seen. By the way, this desire to be seen as a Christian combats what we're really supposed to be doing is supposed to be showing forth the glory of God, right? Right? Anger will choke out our faith. Look what verse number 20 of our text says. It doesn't get any simpler than this, right? For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. You know what? I think sometimes I see so many people today that say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and the world needs Jesus, but we're so angry at how we say it. Human anger will never accomplish God's righteousness. Anger will choke out our faith. It'll choke out our joy. It'll rob us of our God-given testimony in the lives of others to others around you. Anger won't produce the type of righteous life that God's intended for us. It won't produce the type of righteous testimony that it has. Anger poisons the first fruits of our faith. It poisons it. So really what we see is anger management becomes a key to nurturing a healthy and genuine faith that glorifies Christ. And the truth is, it's not just anger that poisons our faith. It's all of our unrighteousness. James just used this one because anger was a big issue within his church at that point. But it's all sin that poisons the growth of our faith. There's not enough said today about how much danger and how much destruction sin will do in our lives, especially in the church. Yes, sin is what kills us and makes us makes us bound for hell, but once we're forgiven, sin still has a destructive quality in our lives, church. It still does. Yes, we've been saved from the eternal the eternal damnation and the condemnation and the death of sin, but sin can still wreak havoc in our lives. And we don't talk about that enough. We don't respect that enough many times. So the second thing we have to do is we have to learn to cultivate righteousness. After we have to watch out for the things that choke out our faith, we have to learn to cultivate righteousness in our hearts that our faith may radiate or may thrive in our soul. Look at verse number 21. He says, therefore, after he says, you know, anger is just going to get in the way of your righteousness. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So here's the application of this verse. Just like a a garden that is full of weeds can choke out healthy growth, we can pull out and get rid of all of those weeds and begin to promote health again. See, we're given the ability to cultivate a healthy heart where the good seeds of faith can grow. So There's no doubt. You may be saying, but man, dude, it's 2022, about to be 2023. And we're living not in a, in a situation now where most of our culture knows and respects Christ or the things of God. We're living, and I believe this, and this is a mindset the church in America must get today. We are not the Jews living in Jerusalem anymore. We are like people and captive and exiles living in Babylon. Okay? We can't expect the world to operate the way the Bible says to. It never fails. When we get angry at the lost for acting like the lost or get mad at the godless for acting like they're godless, we can't do that because they're just acting as though they know. The key is not to be angry. The key is to understand where we are and know the time that we're living in and respond faithfully to God. So there's no doubt that we're surrounded by options and opportunities for sin and for evil. And sometimes it seems like it's overwhelming. It's all around us and it's unavoidable. It's just going to seep into our lives. But here's what we can do. We don't have, we're not asked to stop everything from happening around us. What we're asked to do is to tend our garden of faith. Okay. We're not asked to tend everybody else's garden. We're asked to tend ours. And what that means is let's start at the things that we voluntarily let in from the stuff that presses around us. The movies, the TV shows that we watch, the entertainment choices that we make, the music we listen to, the social media that we consume, the toxic strife and the struggles on cable news outlets all the time. All of these things are constantly battling for our attention and ultimately they're battling for our affection over God. Always. They're not encouraging us to a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God. I didn't one time, while watching the election results, I didn't one time see them go to a a commercial break and say, why don't you go get your Bible out and read it for a few minutes to kind of center yourself back on the Lord. They didn't do that. Movies don't take a break, don't take a worship break in the middle to kind of center your attention back on God. You say, that sounds stupid. Yeah, it does. It sounds ridiculous. Why? Because... That's not what they're designed to do. They're they're competing for your affection. Not wanting to turn your affection towards the Lord. See, we have to tend our own garden. That means the things that we let in through the eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, the heart gate. All of those things will affect us. And they will begin to spring up at times like weeds that choke out our faith. Therein lies the danger then when we let those things in, they will compete for our affection. These weeds are going to pop up, but we have to say, we have to say in whether or not we allow them to linger. Most people, like I say, no, I'm not going, if you ever see the landscaping at my house, it's not going to have a lot of flowers and stuff like that in front of it because I know I can't grow them. But I also make sure that I put Roundup on to kill the weeds because they look terrible, Right? Many times what we do in our, in our life, in our Christian life, and, and here, here's, here's the danger. When we live in an exile type of experience, we begin to think, well, if I look a little bit more like this, or if I begin to accept just a little bit of compromise from God's word here, maybe somebody will start listening to God then. It's never happened before and it's never going to happen ever To just say, if I just kind of like accept a little bit here, maybe that'll change things. Listen again, I go back to what I said a couple weeks ago. We're not looking for a world where Jesus is popular, where Jesus is likable. We're looking for a world where Jesus is accepted as king. Right? We have to say in whether we nurture those things that we give our affection to. Let me give you a personal example. Because I've done, I've battled this in my own life. One of the things that I began to notice about myself about five, six, maybe it was longer ago is how much time I was spending immersing myself in politics and immersing myself in cable news shows, and I had a great deal of attention and affection on that. And I remember after some elections just thinking, oh my gosh, the person I wanted to win, that needed to win, didn't win, and so the world is going to collapse tomorrow. And you know what happened? I woke up the next day, and the world still kept going on. You know what I forgot, what I, let, what I lost focus of? I got so wrapped up in those things that I thought that this candidate was going to like make the world, was going to heal the world. Or I thought that keeping this other candidate out was actually stopping the world from crumbling. But what I forgot was there's still, there's still a king. There's still a king that sits enthroned above every house of government, above every castle, above every throne. And his name is Jesus and he's my friend. You see, what happened is I got angry, I got skeptical, and, and this is what happens. We, we begin to get so, so ingrained in this idea that it's us versus them, and those always fighting this enemy, and yes, we are, but our enemy, the Bible tells us, is not flesh and blood, church. Remember that? Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities and the works of darkness, What we're called to do as the church is not to see people as the enemy. We're called to see people as those who bear the Imago day, the same as we do. And we are to love their souls and we are to pray for them and we are to show compassion. And something happened. I decided I'm going to take a fast from that. And after about three weeks, you know what happened? Colors started returning again. I started to be happier. I started to be less skeptical. I started to be less fearful because... Instead of spending all that time taking all of that in, I spent time in God's word and I realized, man, his kingdom is great. His kingdom is great. And, and folks, it, for, for, for me it was that. For you it may be binge, what you're binging on Netflix or what you're scrolling through on TikTok or, or on Facebook or whatever. But we have the responsibility not to tend everybody else's garden and be mad at everybody else's garden. We have the responsibility to tend our own garden. But what we do is we get mad at everybody else's weeds when ours is overgrowing. Tend to our own garden. Here's what it says. Things are going to be difficult, according to James, when we try to do that. This is why James says, get rid of this stuff because it's going to be difficult for you to see the glory of God when all of this other stuff is masking it all out. And here's a promise we hold on to when battling the flesh and the weeds that look to choke out our faith. In Romans chapter 8, I think we know Romans pretty well, verse number 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, which he does... And he who has raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Say, man, it's tough. It seems like it's all around. Yes, but we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time we need him, he's always near. Why? Because he's alive. He lives. Right? When you feel overwhelmed, discouraged, weak in your faith, remember this truth and cling to this truth that the one who raised himself from the dead raises you from the dead of sin and raises you out of the pit. Stand even with shaky and tired legs on this truth. Remember that you're empowered by the Spirit of God to live the life that he created you for and called you to. And understand this, I found this quote this week and man, it just woke me up. Sin may be prevalent, it may be all around, but it doesn't make it powerful. Just because sin is prevalent doesn't make it powerful over God's kids. Yes, it has a power, but there is a power that is greater than the temptation that is besetting you. And the Bible says that in every temptation, God has given us a way of escape. And that way of escape is Jesus Christ. In Christ we have the power to uproot the weeds. And take them out. And as we close quickly this morning. The last thing is that we receive the word. That gives us life. And nurtures our faith. We receive the word of God. That gives us life and nurtures our faith. Look at the last half. Of that verse. And humbly receive the word. That is able to save your souls. Humbly receive the word that is able to save your souls. This is another line that just deserves its own sermon, right? We see a couple things. We see the position of the word. What is the position of the word? The word needs to be planted in us. Let me ask you a question, church. Is the word planted in you? Okay? Is the word planted in you? Because you can know a lot about the word, but do you know the word? Do you know the word and does, do you allow the word to know you? See, the Bible says we begin to read the word, it begins to correct us. It's like a mirror that talks back and says you need to fix this. This is out of order. Does the word know you? We see the position of the word is the position of the word needs to be planted in our hearts. We need his word and we need it way more than just on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. We need it every day and we need to meditate on it day and night as it says. We need to hide it in our hearts. We also see our relation to the word in this passage. It says we need to humbly receive the word. And this is difficult, isn't it? It is hard to humbly receive the word. Why? Because our flesh rises up against it. We see things in the word that say, man, that just, that just seems out of touch. That just seems archaic. It's, it's, it's 2022. We've come further than this. We've learned more than this. God forbid and God help us if we ever get to a point where we believe that we've learned more than this word. Our relation to the word is that we humbly receive it. Humility before the word means the word reigns supreme in us. We often hear people say, God says it and I believe it so that settles it. That's narcissism at work, isn't it? If God said it and he is always on time and he is always faithful and he is always true and he always fulfills his promises, what what hill of beans does it matter if you believe it or not? If God said it, it settles it, right? It settles it. Matter of fact, this is what will ultimately decide whether or not we properly cultivate righteousness in our lives. See, the the, the willingness to to, to remove sin from our lives is basically an act of faith and humility saying, God, I trust that your way is better. I realize nobody else around me seems to see it this way. But I trust you and I humbly submit to you. And I submit that your way and I surrender to your way that it is better than any other way I can find on my own. And as we see this, we also see the proposition of the word. Here's the promise of the word. Here's what it proposes to us. You implant the word in your heart. You humbly submit to the word. And what's it going to happen? It saves your soul. So by faith, we pull out all the sin. We get rid of the toxic soil in our lives. And we receive and we let the word thrive. Second Peter says this. His divine power has given us everything required. For life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us every great and precious promise, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I want you to stop and just, just marinate on that verse for just a minute. God has given us great and precious promises. Think of the promises that he has given you, the promises in this word that you know. Are you leaning on them? We humbly receive those promises knowing we don't deserve them. None of us deserve eternal life, but he promises to us. We humbly receive that knowing I don't deserve it, but he offers it, right? We plant and we cultivate our faith in the soil. So with an expectation that we get to participate in what Peter calls this divine nature. Church, we're called to be part of something that is bigger than us. It boggles my mind to think that the same gospel that I stand here and preach Sunday in, Sunday out is the same gospel (laughs) that other preachers in the past have stood and declared to thousands of years ago. Though they may be using different devices. And I'm preaching from an iPad today to hold my notes. There's others who preached from typewritten pages just a few decades ago. And then before that, there were scribbled pages. And then before that, there were scribbled papyri. But it's the same message. God has enthroned all of this and held it sacred with his mighty hand. It's not us, it's him. But he requires faithfulness. Or in other words, that we may become more like Jesus. All of this is so we become more like Him. Shouldn't this be our goal to be more like Him? As John chapter 3 verse 30 says, that He must increase in us, but we must decrease. He must become the front runner and we fade off into the distance. So as we close out this morning, I just want to ask a couple questions. So what we've seen in this part this morning and what we're going to see next week a little bit is how our faith is supposed to look. We've talked about how we plant it and protect it, but now how is it supposed to look next week? But as we looked at this agricultural imagery, seeds and soil and planting and growing and harvesting and living and dying, all those things, they're all images that we can observe in this passage. So I just want to ask you, what stage are you at in your faith? How is your faith thriving? What soil have you let it grow up in? How well have you been tending to your garden? Or have you been more, spending more time angry at the way everybody else's garden looks or cretankerous about that? How is your own garden being tended to? See, genuine faith has a beginning or in agricultural terms, it's a seed that is planted. And we have to be careful with the soil. So let me ask you this, how's the soil of your life doing today? How is the seed able to grow in your life? Are there things that you need to pull out? Things that you need to be removing? The question is, maybe you're here or listening and you're like, I've I've never truly trusted Christ. Are you ready to receive that implanted word today? Because the promise is it will save your soul. Will you trust the promise that if you receive the gospel, if you receive Jesus as your savior, that it will save your soul? Are we ready to be firmly planted in faith? So as we bow our heads this morning and as we close our eyes. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.